Hey y'all, welcome back to the Chocolate Bar, our lives, our strength, our time. I'm Bree. I'm Dee. And this is episode 33. Hey, I yes. got bars. <laughs> <laughs> See how we're starting off? Uh, welcome back, guys. We're so happy to be back with you. And we are super excited because these are our favorite episodes where you get to listen to someone else other than us talk at you for however long. So we have a super special guest tonight. And we're going to be talking about a really, really important issue. And the reason it's taken us so long to get to this is because we wanted to actually wait until we had someone who knew what the hell they were talking about before we tackled it. So um, we are going to be talking about black women and mental health um, this evening. And we have with us the amazing Monica Johnson. Hi, um, hey girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're so excited to talk to you tonight. Um, she's a badass clinical social worker. Um, she's got experience with children, women in prison, and she currently works as a clinician with adults who have schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder mm-hmm. i you said it right, right. You yes <laughs> she's also power lifter strong woman and general badass so um we are really really excited to have this conversation because i think now more than ever it is really really important so i guess we can start off i kind of just gave a little bit about you but if you want to tell the peeps a little bit more monica just about you and sort of how you got into um what you're doing professionally and how you got into string sports and well we can go from there Okay, um, so I am from Charlottesville, Virginia, and so uh, I was born and raised here, um, and so when I graduated from graduate school, I came back, and so from, let's see, from seventh grade to graduation, I went to a private Quaker school, mm. where I was wow. the only black girl in my entire grade all six years. Oh my <laughs> as, God. Yeah, as well as there was probably at that time, um, only like maybe three or four other students of color at the time, um, and so that experience really shaped my life and got me to where I'm at now. Um, Just being the only African-American student, I had to face a lot of diversity issues like in the classroom, but as well as like going home to the black community, I would have to deal with like people talking about the way I sounded, um, me thinking that I felt I was better because I was going to a private school, (laughs) which wasn't the truth. Um, And so my mom, she has uh, a lot of physical issues as well as mental health. So going through that experience like at school, but then also like in my own personal life, Mm-hmm. Uh, made me want to help other people, especially our youth. I really wanted to help them not feel like, you know, they were stuck or try to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. And so when I went off to college, I went to school in Kentucky. Mm, um, no. <laughs> no, I just went all over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I ended up going to school in Kentucky. And so um, I specifically remember meeting an adjunct professor, Miss um, Webb. And so she was visiting. And so one thing that I realized in my life is how important representation matters. Mm-hmm. And so being able to see this African-American woman teaching this class and really pushing me really made me want social work even more because when I was in high school, I had did this project called our sophomore seminar. And so at that time, um, there was a African-American um, boy named Terrell Peterson on the front of the Time magazine. 
and they were talking about how he died in the system because of neglect um mm. and also the the foster care workers they were just so overloaded with their caseloads that they were unable to get to him um and realize that you know he was being neglected and abused oh wow um, yeah so at that time i really thought social work was just like adoption and foster care and i didn't realize it was so much bigger than that and so meeting miss webb you know she said you know monica like you could go to graduate school. And I was like, what? Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out the next step of life. Like, I'm trying right. to figure out, go home, do I stay, what do I do? And she's like, no, like, you go to graduate school for this. But, you know, she said a lot of people come from similar backgrounds. And so they get burnt out because it hits so close to home. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm different. Like, they ain't gonna bother me, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so... Having that conversation with her really encouraged me to apply to the top schools for social work. Um, and I got in the top school and I ended up major or majoring, but you declare like your, uh, I guess, your path. And so my path was mental health administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that led me to being where I'm at now. So I'm like, I don't know, I enjoy what I do. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the lifting, I guess is the second part of the question. So the lifting ties in. Um, because you guys are really getting my life story today. Hey, hey that's, 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 how we, that's why we have to be here. That's right. We have any information, but we, we can't be here and just be secretive. That's true. That's true. So um, the way I got into lifting is when I was in college, I even like when I was in high school, I was always a bigger girl. Um, mm-hmm. And I had self-esteem issues that I didn't realize I was having. Um, and so when I got to college, I was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to use the gym and I'm going to work out and lose weight. And of course, it just never <laughs> happened that way Mm -hmm. um and so when i got to grad school it was like the same story so it really got me going was in 2013 my mom she um, almost died, actually. So she, mm. um, her church members had brought her to my house and they had said, you know, your mom keeps passing out. And I was like, okay, like, you know, sit, you know, have her sit down and she passed out again. Oh my so gosh. I was like, you know, we're going to the hospital. And she was like, no, like, just let me sleep. And I was like, no, like, this isn't okay. I am not a doctor. <laughs> we are mm-hmm. going to the hospital. And so um, we get to the hospital and actually turned out that her heart was beating out of rhythm and the top and the bottom and so fast it was like causing her to pass out and so if i had let her sleep that night she would have died oh my gosh Um, and so that was the wake-up call i needed because at that point i was 300 uh, over 330 pounds probably Mm -hmm. um and i had been so lucky that i hadn't gotten diabetes or uh, high blood pressure and i carried my weight well so like people were really shocked to hear that i had weighed that much Mm -hmm. um and just seeing my mom struggle my whole life um and just seeing people close to me struggle with like physical as well as mental health issues that was like the thing that really clicked for me and i said you know what i gotta i gotta get this under control Mm -hmm. and so i met a trainer and she was this little lady and you know at that point i was like i was judging her i was like first of all like first of all right i was like you are like four of me put together what are you gonna do for me and so michelle was like you know monica you like your legs are strong so like let's start with that and i remember her starting with box jumps Mm -hmm. i mean box squats not Mm -hmm. box jumps i was like oh wow no ma'am no (laughs) ma'am um And so she was just wonderful. And like, I mean, I tried to run before. And after I lost about 50 pounds, she was able to help me run. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about Michelle is that she really was like, 
a mental health support in her own way. Like I remember mm-hmm. coming to the gym one day and my pants had ripped and I hadn't even noticed they had been ripped. And I was like in tears. And Michelle was like, she was like, let's just, I'll reschedule the session for free. Let's just talk. Let's like get you together. And I was mm. like so thankful for those little moments with her. So like when she left to go back to California, um, you know, somebody had reached out to me and said, Monica, we're doing community cardio. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And it was at a local powerlifting gym. Uh-huh. And so in like three days after that, I joined power, the powerlifting gym. And then we ended up uh, signing up for a local strongman competition. And so I am very big on not wanting to embarrass myself at competitions. <laughs> um, That's a good goal. Right, right. So the gym I was at, like we were creeping closer to like the time. And I was like, hey guys, like we haven't practiced these events. Because with strongman, you know, like it really boils down to these like five or six events that you're right. competing in. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, like I'm going to go to the gym in town that's hosting it and i'm gonna like get some help with that and so um tank the gym owner it's the gym i currently go to it's called primal strength gym he was wonderful Mm -hmm. they really helped me and so when we we did the competition um and so we had some issues arise with our powerlifting coach and so at that point you know it it was i decided like that wasn't where i wanted to be anymore i really wanted to pursue uh the strong woman route and so that's how I ended up there. And so my coach, Katie, I actually met her um, a couple of weeks before competition. And so one thing in my life I always say is that everything happens for a reason. And God always places people like right at the right time. And so a couple of weeks before that comp, I had went up to uh, Delaware to visit my family and just happened to stop at this gym. And it was awesome because Katie has a group called the Katie's Ladies. Oh, that's, that's meet cute. Up that's every really Saturday. Cute. Yeah, it's like so cute. And they meet up every Saturday um, and they run strongman events. And so oh, wow. I went up on a Friday and they invited me to come the next day to train with them. And so when I had parted ways with my powerlifting coach, I immediately text Katie and I said, Katie, would you be my, like, would you be my coach? And she did not hesitate. She said, yeah. And so Katie does my coaching all the way from Pennsylvania. Wow. And um, that's how I got here. So... I love it. Wow, that is fantastic. That is hey. awesome. Um, so I guess, you know, when you, like I said, this is such a huge subject to to unpack. And I know that, you know, mm-hmm. we've all sort of had our own personal stories with respect to mental health, whether it be, you know, from as a child or just being more aware of it as an adult. I know for myself, it wasn't really until, you know, I was like good and grown that I was like, wow, you know, there's some things going on with me that are not okay. And I need to figure out what's going on because it was impacting so many different areas of my life. Um, As far I know you mentioned, you know, sort of, you know, some of the things that you experienced growing up, not not only just being, you know, one of few um, people of color at your school and, you know, dealing with, you know, some of the mental health challenges Mm -hmm. your mom had. How how did those things impact your mental health specifically? I know you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. you had some esteem issues, other things, but were there other things that you noticed either as an adult or coming up, you know, whether it be depression or anxiety or anything else? Like, how did you, you know, how did you sort of face that and, and, and start to address it? Right. So I think going through all of that, I definitely, like we said, I had self-esteem issues, but I also had like depression going on that I didn't even realize was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a lot of with the depression, like a lot of negative thought patterns. Mm -hmm. And so one way I would like, quote unquote, cope with it, because I really wasn't coping with it. Right. um, But I would 
exert all this energy in like the people who were close to me like in their lives so like what I mean by that is like my siblings I would be so worried about like what they were doing and like I would come home for breaks and spend like all this time with them really trying to mask what was going on with mm, me um, mm -hmm. because I'm just externally I'm just doing other things I'm eating you know I'm eating out um, all the time and mm -hmm. I'm complaining about how you know how I look and I remember my brother would be like Monica if you don't like yourself change it and mm. I'm just like you don't understand like this mm -hmm. is different for you because your genetics are better <laughs> you know mm -hmm. he's just like Monica mm -hmm. come on mm -hmm. and so um you know really what I had to do is I really had to confront that negative thought process um I mean I felt so bad and I didn't even realize it and like finally it was just like you know what Monica like you have to set clear-cut boundaries with other people because mm -hmm. like I was the go-to person for everybody to talk to about their problems but like nobody was helping me with mine nobody was calling me all my stuff and mm -hmm. so I when I set that boundary that was a game changer <laughs> Like when mm -hmm. I said Monica mm -hmm. like you're not going to go on media and see like what your family's doing. You're not going to constantly be involved. And of course, like I'm still here to support them. But by setting that boundary, like that was the first step. Um, I also began to see a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really hard for me because he was a white male. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, oh. what are you going to do for me? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yet again, like, what are you going to do? And so, you know, he would have me do like these writing exercises and visualization. And so I was very standoffish in the beginning, mm -hmm. um, not wanting to be a part of the, the process. And it was interesting because like, I, this was after grad school. So like I knew like how right. important this was and what to do, but I was still very standoffish. And once I released that, like, what's the word? Once I released like that wall of that guardedness, I was able mm -hmm. to really be a part of my own recovery. Um, mm. And that really helped. So. But I, but yet again, I do say representation does matter because for a lot of people, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but like it's important for them sometimes to see someone that looks like them. Right. I was yes. just about to yeah. ask about yes. that. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's a topic that we do talk about, um, like on the team that I currently work with that comes up from time to time, but also like the outpatient um, area in the building that I work in, um, they are struggling with having clinicians of color. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, it makes it hard because like people of color are coming in and saying, wait, like, what can you do for me? <laughs> like, right. How do you understand what I've been through? Because you're coming from a background of privilege. Um, mm. And so, and so I've, I've found in the work that I do, especially like having like all my friends from grad school, like one of the biggest thing is that like there are, the, the the culture of you know therapy and mental health is predominantly white people mm -hmm. and so it's really important for those people who are in those those uh, roles to really confront any biases or prejudices that they have and really work through them so that they're able to help people of color right right yeah it's funny that you mentioned that as soon as you said that you know I remember and I, I'll tell people sometimes that you know maybe hesitant about seeing a therapist or whatever mm -hmm. and I'll just say you know it's kind of like dating like you kind of have to yeah. just find that right fit it's not yeah. it may not be the right fit from from jumping you know the first person I you know the first therapist I ever saw was a white woman and you know I and it's funny because looking back on it now I I'm I'm wondering and I'm I'm realizing that I think part of the reason that I just never really was able to get as much as I could I think from those sessions was for that very reason mm -hmm. because I kind of felt like you know, okay, middle-aged white lady, <laughs> you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how are you, yeah. how are you going to sit here and talk to me about, 
you know, the things that I'm experiencing as a black woman. And I mean, she was perfectly lovely, but I just, I almost felt like she kind of glossed over a lot of the stuff that I was mentioning that was problematic for me, right. you know, and, and I recognize now, and, and that's not to say that, you know, I don't think that there could ever be, that there couldn't be a situation where you could have a therapist of another um, race, you know, sort of working with you and being helpful to you. But I just know for myself personally, that's just not something I could ever do again. Like mm-hmm, I have been yeah. very deliberate about finding black female mental health workers Um, you know even even going to a man I think for me just wouldn't (laughs) Mm -hmm. work um and so it's interesting that you bring that up and I just wonder you know you know if it's a situation where this person either has a choice of seeing a white therapist or not seeing a therapist at all it's kind of like what's the lesser of two evils so to speak Mm -hmm. I guess um so yeah it's I just it's really interesting that you brought that up because I was literally thinking that as soon as you said it well, because it's true. I I think I've had the same experience. I know I'm pretty open about the fact that I see a therapist and my prior therapist, my current therapist is a black woman and my prior therapist, I laugh all the time because we actually had, for the reason that I started seeing her, she was fine for that. But as we kind of moved into the things that were behind the initial reason that I was there, she... <laughs> I, I don't think I knew Brie yet when this happened because I could imagine the conversation we would have had 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 I known her when this happened. But she kind of made this very offhand comment about post-racial society. Oh, Jesus. And I kind of cocked my head to the side and I was just like, well, I'm never coming back here again. Right. And it's that idea of, and I think we see this not just in this particular arena of mental health, but I think you see it in general where there are these biases, like you said, that people don't even realize they have. Just right, inherent just biases inherent, yeah. that they have and inherent thought processes that they have that they don't know they have. And being so bold as to say to a black woman who's actually talking wow. to you at the time, I was talking to her about things that were pretty closely tied to my skin color. Right. Um, for her to say, well, we live in a post-racial society. Look, Girl, lady. what? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and it was one of those things where at the time, I mean, it's ridiculous to, regardless of the setting, but at the time it was when everybody was in the feel good, President Obama's in office, everybody loves everybody because we've got a black president and things are right. great. But it was really in that moment and in the situation I was in, if she had said that any earlier in my therapy sessions, it would, me walking away from therapy and Brie, what you said made me think about this, me walking away from therapy would have been in a, at that point pretty close to the difference between life and death mm-hmm. and my personal safety and my ability to like I probably would not be talking to you guys right now yeah. had she said that at a different point in my therapy so it is really interesting to me to think about how it is really hard to find I mean I live in Atlanta and there are tons of them here but there are also just right. tons of black people here. Right. Right. but right. in other places where there aren't someone who's coming to the table with that kind of bias foolishness. and foolishness <laughs> And being so bold as to put that into what is, should theoretically be a safe space for someone to be expressing themselves, that's a little scary. And I do wonder, is it healthier? I know in my situation, no, I needed to be in therapy because I was trying to leave a really bad situation. But right. for someone who's, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word right now, maintaining, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is that, you know, is that the better idea to just kind of try to wing it a little bit longer until you can find what you need? Or do you make mm-hmm. the best of that? therapists that may have these kind of not so great views and biases that are playing into your sessions it's it is a really good question i don't know if you have a concrete answer i don't know if there is one (laughs) well that actually brings up kind of where i wanted to go with my next question monica and i think this is a big one too you know 
what do you think in your opinion are some of those barriers as to why you know specifically black women i mean i know in general black folk are just not real big on therapy and mental health um and, and sort of maintaining that but what are what are some of the barriers or what do you think are some of the main reasons that black women may hesitate or you know not want to you know get themselves in that situation to kind of help themselves feel better or sort of you know figure out what's going on with them what what do you think are some of the reasons for that okay so this is an interesting question because i had to think about this i was like like how could like how is it specific to black women um because i feel like a lot of the reasons why it's like a barrier really applies to the entire community um but you know i think specifically about women i think about the fact of like how you know if you are the only breadwinner in your home Mm. um because look at like how incarceration affects our our community um so if you're the only breadwinner in the home and you're having to take care of everything like you can't get time off to go access Mm. those resources Mm -hmm. you can't afford it um because think about if you get that time off then like you're losing money uh, for a lot of women um and then also i think for people they see the stigma that's associated with having that diagnosis mm-hmm. of whether it's depression or anxiety having that label sometimes that is hard to confront because of the fact that we as women have always especially black women we have been revered as like having to be strong and not having to be seen as weak right um and i think that that really is a barrier to us like being able to and i don't want to call it pride but i guess in a way like putting it to the side right and saying you know like i'm going to go get the help that i need so that i can help those you know that i take care of or that in my community or my circle um I also think like we already touched on like the representation of providers makes it Mm -hmm. hard um especially like if there's no black woman specifically um i think that that's a really a huge deterrent um i know i've had a conversation in our building about how that has been a deterrent for some of the women um and then also okay this one (laughs) might be a little touchy but i also think that in the black community that we use the church um, Girl, yes. get out of my head! Yes. I was literally yes. just I hadn't said that. I was going <laughs> to say it. Literally so, about to say that. Yeah, yes. if you hadn't so, said it, one of us would have. Yeah. So we use the church. Um, I mean, and I think that that's the culture of like thinking about slavery um, right. to nail and how like the church has really been the forefront of mm-hmm. like community for us. Um, but I will say that a lot of times, like, although church can help, like, lessen isolation and give you a, a support system in a community, if there is no awareness in the community about what mental health looks like, so, like, there's no education about what signs and symptoms look like, right. people in those pastoral roles are not going to know, hey, you know what, like, this is bigger than just praying. Like, Girl. maybe you need to go see someone right. and talk to them and get oh. some medication. Um, and so I think a lot of times we think we can just pray it away, and that's right. not always the case. <laughs> right. And I'll tell you, growing up, the three things that I remember very distinctly, you know, being said with respect to mental health, just in general, like if I, you know, overhear, you know, fa- older family members talking about somebody who got some kind of issue or, you know, something and that subject would come up and it would mm-hmm. be like, oh, you know, in terms of like therapy or seeing someone or medication. Oh, that's white people shit. Right. No, exactly. We, yes, that. I, we hear you that. Know, that's, yes. that's number one. Number two is, oh, you know, we don't, uh, uh-uh, that's, you keep, you keep we family keep, stuff bef- behind. Exactly. Right. 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 In the house. You don't air your dirty laundry out to to white folk, basically. Right. And then number three, you know, like you mentioned, was the 
whole pray it away thing. And I'll tell you, you know, I'm I'm very spiritual. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily say I'm super religious because right. I have some huge issues with organized religion. That's a whole other subject. But um, I do consider, you know, that I have a, a pretty strong relationship with God. You know, and I, it that was really hard for me because I was kind of like, you know, what is it about my? F- and it was sort of intimated to me that well, if your faith was stronger, right? You know, if yes. this, if that, you would be able to overcome this. And I really, you know, it, I really struggle with that and changing my thinking about like, okay, well, that's true, but God also gives us the tools to help us mm-hmm. be the best version of ourselves. That's right. And if therapy happens to be one of those tools, then so be then it. You know what it. I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think. You're right, you know, and, and, and it, I mean, so many things, and we might need to do a separate episode on this in the church, bro, <laughs> but like so many things, I think, you know, whether it be, you know, dealing with, um, you know, domestic violence, whether it be dealing with sexual abuse, whether it be dealing with all of these other little sort of, you know, kind of insidious things that happen kind of behind closed doors and are very hush-hush, you know, the church... I think are sort of that larger organization is kind of a way to control that narrative, right? Okay. Um, because think about all the things, well, you know, just pray on it or, you know, that's your husband and y'all are married and y'all right. need to work it out and you just pray that he's going, you know, not bust your face open. Like all of that mm-hmm. stuff, I think, you know, it, it, it really, that interplay is so strong and it's so, like you mentioned, it's so intertwined in our culture and mm-hmm. our history. I think it can be really difficult to sort of step beyond that. You know right. what I mean? So, I mean, that, yeah, you... Girl, you touched on something right there. <laughs> Child. Right. But yeah, I think... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, I'll go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's so true. And I think, too, you know, this is something, too, that... And, and I, you know, you know, I, I think when we talk in terms of privilege... Um, I have to check myself sometimes mm-hmm. because, you know, I will have conversations with folks about like, you know, they're feeling a certain kind of way or that this is going on or that's going on. And, you know, the subject of well, have you thought about maybe talking to someone, you know, and my whole thing is, you know, it, it would be to a certain point sometimes where I'd be like, well, duh, dude, you know, you have insurance, just call and make an appointment. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that not everybody does have insurance or right. not everybody has right. really good insurance. And sometimes even if you do have good good insurance, a $25 copay is just not feasible if or, you're trying to feed kids and be a single mom and right. or taking the time off to go to see a therapist like you mentioned, you know. Or I mean? even in some cases, the plain and simple fact that your insurance, because I know I've dealt with this, doesn't cover your mental health. Exactly, which is bullshit. Which is like, okay, great. So I can be physically ill, but if I am completely and totally mentally ill, I can't do anything about it. And I've seen yeah. I've seen that a lot. And I think people, and I also, I know I see it a lot working in an environment where I do get to see lots of people of color, a lot of things. And I know I'm guilty of this. Thankfully, I'm, I'm quote unquote privileged enough that I don't, this is a non-issue for me, but people being afraid to use their insurance because they don't want their boss or I was just uh, going to say that whoever to know that they're Mm -hmm. in therapy because you know oh well what if I put in this claim and they go and find out what's wrong with me and then I get fired or I get or I lose my job or what if I'm if this costs too much and there there's that concern too even in situations where it shouldn't be a concern because I mean because let's be real you know yeah HIPAA exists but let's be real if folks want to find out stuff about you people can find out stuff about you pretty easily so I think yeah that's that's definitely 
um that's a really good point you know I, I didn't I don't I mean I, I thought about it a little bit you know just always putting my lawyer hat on but again mm-hmm. being in that place of, of of privilege where you think oh okay well that's not probably going to be such a huge deal for me you know or whatever but yeah I think it's really important to you know I think it's important and it was important it was an important check for me to you know, when I say to someone, hey, well, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, why not just do this? It's not always that easy, it's I guess, not, is the point yeah. that I'm making. And I'm, you know, I try to be much, much more cognizant of that now when, you know, talking to people and not being judgmental, like, well, why don't you just go see a therapist if you're feeling so badly? You know, whatever. Um, and something so, to think about is, and I see it, I know I was in this place for a long time. Sometimes, in this, uh, to put it in the most blunt and not politically correct way, sometimes people's baseline normal is so fucked up (laughs) that they don't know that there's something wrong like you can have an entire conversation with someone and you're like oh god you need help and you might know externally that Mm -hmm. that person is not okay right Right. but if you've been living with anxiety depression or whatever Mm -hmm. there's an entire (laughs) i have a friend who for I knew her for maybe seven years. And in those seven years, I kept thinking there's something not right here. Right. And, but if you talk to her, she's perfectly fine and she's normal. And it took almost something kind of triggering, almost a complete Mm -hmm. breakdown where she almost needed to be hospitalized for her to realize, okay, there's something not right. So if your baseline, especially if you have a family where people don't talk about that kind of thing and don't address Mm -hmm. it and you're in an environment. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people of color grow up in environments where mm-hmm. no one talks about it. Right. Right. You start to think that functioning in whatever that, that quote unquote, that way is, is, is normal. normal. Right. And healthy, not even just normal. Cause normal doesn't really mean anything, but right. that it's healthy and that's how everybody's life is. And mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, you, it, it's just a place where if you can have an entire conversation and you can say to someone, you know, you really probably should talk to someone about that. And they won't even understand why you would want to talk to someone about it because right. there's nothing right. wrong with me. Yeah. And it's almost like you don't know how badly you felt until you feel better. Exactly. Like yeah. that was definitely yes. something I went through. I was like, oh word, this is what this is supposed to be like. Like, you know, it was it was mind shattering for me because I always like you said, my baseline was always at a certain space and I just kind of figured that's how I was supposed to be. And then when I wasn't, I was like, oh shit. You know, so yeah, and, and, and kind of that's a really actually a great segue into sort of um, my next question. So, you know, I think one of the, I won't say one of the problems, but one of the challenges I think with, um, because I think in some spaces talking about mental health has become a little bit more um, prevalent and progressive. But I think one of the issues that comes with that is people throwing around certain words. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing so, it makes it very difficult to discern when, you know, something is just you being blue versus you having clinical depression, Right. right? Because everybody, oh my God, I got on the scale this morning and I, you know, I weighed a pound more. I'm so depressed. Oh my God, they're out of pumpkin spice latte. I'm so depressed. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't focus on more than one thing at one time. I'm bipolar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it, 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 it's, it's a double-edged sword. So that being said, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the things that could be um, an indication for someone that they're not just having a bad day? Like, let's, let's speak to depression because that seems to be kind of yeah. a general catch-all phrase. And how can someone sort of look for those markers to say, wow, I'm kind of sad today versus 
this is not okay. Something's not right. Right. So, so some of like the major symptoms um, with like clinical depression. And so with clinical depression, it's very different than like, I just feel sad today. It's like a persistent feeling over a period of time. Usually it's like six months. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you are feeling more than one of these symptoms. And so the symptoms usually like this empty feeling, Um, you might find that you're crying a lot or you're just persistently sad over a long period of time. also like weight gain so like if your appetite increases um but also weight loss like it could go either way Mm. just depending on you know who you are um then also sometimes like you will have physical symptoms like you might have headaches or like your stomach might hurt often and you go see the doctor and they have no like nothing no kind of treatment for you Mm -hmm. because you are causing these physical symptoms to happen because you're feeling depressed Mm. um you know, irritability, restlessness, um, also like your energy levels, like a lot of, and I know I see this a lot with, um, within my own family, like people always talking about they tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a lot of times like they just attribute it to like working excessive hours or, um, working hard. But a lot of times that's just masking the fact that you're going through depression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you feel guilty or worthless or helpless, uh, we all, the big term we use is hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're sleeping, too much or not sleeping enough and so you know a lot of times people will just like sleep all day um mm-hmm. and i remember when i was in school i was like that doesn't really happen and then it was she like no it. like this yes, does, does happen That's right it does child. um and then also like you know if you sleep too little like if you're not getting enough sleep you are causing your brain to not be able to function at its optimal level um and so that's like that's just really bad um also like people have like a loss of interest in like activities they like to do so Mm -hmm. um you know if it could be anything from lifting or if you like to go out with your girlfriends and now you realize you're just staying at home and isolating a a lot um that could be a huge indicator for depression um and then also like difficulty remembering things or concentrating um and then the biggest one is if you have thoughts of harming yourself Mm -hmm. i mean that's a huge one Mm -hmm. um and so, you know, if, if you feel a combination of these, uh, then it's really important for you to reach out, whether it's like going to see your doctor and talking about it so they can try to refer you to somebody um, or just seeking out help on your own. But mm-hmm. like I said before, a lot of times it's really hard in our community because there's not a lot of education about right. it. But that also ties into the fact of like we just keep it behind closed doors. Right. Um, and so even though like right now I work with people who have like severe mental health issues um even with that you know a lot of times people who have schizophrenia they're just like assumed to be like the crazy uncle quote unquote right but really what's happening is that quote unquote crazy uncle actually suffering from schizophrenia and so when sometimes like when families get those actual diagnoses um it's hard for them to to take it's hard for them to say you know what like my uncle has schizophrenia like that's really hard for them to admit mm-hmm. um because then admitting it means that you have to go seek help right right, right. so right. and and on that same vein you mentioned you know sort of articulating or reaching out and how difficult that can be you know what are some i don't know if i want to say scripts or you know what are some things that you can do so you know with my own situation you know um after i had my son who was a preemie. He was mm-hmm. very, very early and very, very sick when he was born. Um, I mean, I, at the time, now I realize that I had postpartum depression. I didn't really realize it then. But I think one of the issues, 
you know, for me and my husband was that like he didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And it was I couldn't I couldn't explain it to him. Right? right. He's he's you know, he's an engineer. He's very black and white. And it was just sort of this. What do you mean you're sad? You don't know why. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like if you tell somebody that you're upset or that you're sad, the next natural question is, well, what's causing that? And right. it's it's very hard for them to comprehend that you don't know why. Right. What do you mean you don't know why? You know, how can you just not be, how can you just be sad about nothing? You need to get it together. Your son needs you. You know, it was, it was really hard for him. And, you know, and it's funny because much later, you know, things got a little bit worse. And, you know, um, you know, after I sort of got some intervention, he came back to me and he was like, I, I really want to apologize to you because I had no idea, you know, what you were going through or what this meant or what it means. And I mean, we still kind of have our rocky times sometimes because I think sometimes, people want especially people that love you want to fix whatever is wrong and they feel helpless because they can't really fix the problem because you may not necessarily know what the problem is um and so we're constantly having to have that dialogue but you know what are some things or what are some ways that someone you know who wants to reach out who wants to ask for help who wants to you know how can they communicate that to their loved ones or to their doctor or whomever in such a way that they don't feel like you know someone shaming them or make the situation worse than than if they had never said anything at all yeah i I think that's like a hard one because i know that there are people out there who do not feel surrounded by people that they trust enough to like really open up and that's something that i especially deal with uh, with people with schizophrenia like that huge stigma right associated with that disorder um I mean, obviously, the go-to answer is, like, go see a professional, you mm-hmm. know, because you can just say, yeah, hey. But I think that you that you touch on a good topic about, like, well, how do you speak to your loved ones about it? And so a lot of times I think it's just saying, you know, I'm dealing with some things and I what I need right now is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, sometimes you can't explain, like, those feelings. Like you said, like, in your situation, you can't explain what it's feeling and that there are people out there that are very black and white. Right. Um, and I think sometimes the first step is really saying, you know what, like, like whoever it is, whether it's like your husband or whatever, like, you know, I love you. I think I need to go see someone because then that person can help you formulate those words to really express like what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm not answering this question. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, I think, you know, no, no, no. I think you're, you know, and, and someone might be listening and, and getting some ideas about that they didn't think about before. Like, oh, well, maybe I can, you know, maybe this is a situation where I can kind of, and I even had, you know, my husband have a session with my therapist yes, just to say, this yes. is what's going on with her. Because you sometimes know? the therapist will be able, like, as long as, you know, you allow it, you can send right. it. The therapist can explain more like, hey, like, this is what this diagnosis is. Yep. And this is what it lo- is looking like for your loved one. And this is how you can support them yep. and I think that that's always like an eye-opener for families especially mm-hmm. to really understand and say you know what like she's not just sleeping all day because she's lazy like she's exactly. actually sleeping all day because <laughs> she's diagnosed with clinical depression right um, right 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 but you know but it, this topic is so hard especially when we talk about the African-American community just because of like that gardenness if you don't feel like you can find someone that looks like you to talk to about that right um, right so anybody out there listening who's interested in mental health and you are a person of color, I really encourage you <laughs> to take, you know, to become a professional in whichever setting you choose. Because, I mean, it's really important. We need, we need, we need you. <laughs> we do. We really do. So um, on the flip side of that question, and, and 
since we've talked since we're all kind of being like pretty open about our own shit like Bree knows I've been going through some stuff and one of the things I've realized is a lot of people don't understand because there's some fundamental things about my life that most people just don't will never ever experience so what happens a lot and I know this happens to other people because I posted about it on Instagram and people were like girl oh my god do you know how many people have fucking done this to me so the question here is how do you as a person who's trying to if you're a person who's already reaching out on the other side if someone is reaching out to you and you genuinely have no ability to relate to them Mm. most of the time with people of color as we've already said the response is just get over it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or pull your shit together and that's definitely i can say for a lot of the people i've dealt with that's their response well your feelings aren't my problem or um you just need to be stronger or you need to work harder or you need to, you know, those kinds of things that right. we tend to hear. What are some ways for, because I feel like sometimes for the people who are dealing with whatever it is that they're dealing with and they're reaching out, that's about as much strength as they've got. Right, <laughs> like, right. So what are some things for people who might not know who might be family members, friends, loved ones, spouses, what have you, um, how they can kind of, when their initial feeling is, well, just get over it. What are some things that they can do? Questions they can ask or responses? Because I think sometimes people don't even know how to talk about mental health. Right. And we just kind of end up derailing where we've got people who just are like, never mind, I don't need help. And they go back in their little shell and they just, you know, kind of hide away. Mm-hmm. So I guess how on the other side, we've got someone who's reaching out but the other person doesn't know how to respond or there are things that might be helpful or things that they can say or resources or I don't know (laughs) but well yeah yeah I think I mean I think it's a valid question because a lot of times like people will like get freaked out when someone approaches them um you know with whatever they're they're going through and it's hard for them to like relate like you said um I think people don't realize the power of listening sometimes just listening to someone is so therapeutic um and I think that their response has to come from like a place of love um so you really have to check yourself to make sure that like whatever comes out of your mouth is not negative um because you could cause that person to you know feel like well you know i'm not going to talk to anyone and then they just keep holding it inside until they have like a break or something um but i mean there's so many resources so there is um nami the national alliance of mental health is out there um so that's always a great resource that like you know if somebody reaches out to you like for you to educate yourself a little bit more maybe about what they're going through um Cause like we have this wonderful World Wide Web. Of course, you have to be careful about what you read <laughs> because some things are not true. Um, I also know that like locally here, and I'm like my my boss would be so like Monica. Why do you not know the name? Um, I guess I think it's through Nami as well. But like there also are support groups for loved ones um Mm. to really support them and be able to come together and have that camaraderie of like you know we're going through this together and like how you know get those resources like how do i help this person um how do i help them through their situation um Mm -hmm. and if you think of them later that's fine because what we'll do is we'll list the links or those specific organizations in the episode notes when we um when we publish publish it so so. you can definitely send us that list and yeah make sure it gets out there thanks um but yeah, I mean, and I think also like obviously if someone is talking about harming themselves or someone else, you definitely need to let someone know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't play on any level about that. I'm like, we don't, like if you say that, then 
you know, something has to be done. Also, I'm held to a code of ethics, but, um, you know, because in the long run, I think a lot of times, like when situations like that happen, people are scared to do anything because they don't want that person to be mad at them for like talking, telling their business. But you have to realize that like, I know for me, I'd much rather have someone be mad at me for the rest of their life and be Mm -hmm. alive um, or have not harmed someone else than like carry that burden. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just think it's like being open, listening. And then also sometimes like asking them, you know, sometimes it's okay to ask them, what do you need from me? Um, Because sometimes people are at a point where they can verbalize, like I need for you to listen or I just need for you to come sit with me. Um, Sometimes sitting, just being in the presence of someone is very therapeutic. did, did this answer your question? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes it's hard with these questions because there's not yeah. like a, a concrete statement you right. can say. Yeah. And, and everyone's different, certainly. Yes. But I think just even knowing, like you said, you know, and I think, too, it's important for, you know, and this was something I had to communicate, you know, to, to my husband specifically, because he's really the only one that knows like all of my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's OK to not know what to do. Right. And it's OK not to be able to fix the situation because you can. It's not about you. Exactly. And I think I think it's really important to communicate that as well, because I think sometimes depending on the relationship that you have with the person, you know, whether that be a parent or, you know, a love, you know, a significant other, I think sometimes immediately you know that person might feel like and i know with my husband it's like well you know are you unhappy with me what you why are you so sad you i mean you don't want to be with me and i'm like bruh this ain't got shit to do with you you know but i and i I mean it's you know i'm sure you know it, it can be sort of a natural kind of assumption but i think just even reassuring that person that this isn't about you. This exactly. isn't about my relationship with you. You're awesome. And I'm still sad, which really leads me to believe that something else is going on. Or this isn't about how you raised me or I'm saying you're a bad mom or a bad dad. It's just it is what it is. And I think sometimes even offering that reassurance a little bit, you know, even though I kind of feel like you shouldn't have to do that. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> offering that reassurance will then maybe put that person at ease and put them in a better position to be able to support you because right. they're not so focused on what they did wrong to get right. you to where you are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, that's something too that, you know, if someone's listening and they're, you know, have someone in their lives that they're dealing with this, like it, dude, it's not about you at right. all. Like not, right. And now it may be, I don't know. You know, <laughs> that's a whole different, that's a whole different show, but assuming that their issues are not stemming from something that you have done or that, you know, as a result of your interaction with them, just chill and listen and be yes, open yes. and, you know, um, you know, just kind of help them get to where they need to be. Um, so and I, wait, I want to oh, say God. one more thing. Yeah. That. Also, like, also, we live in a generation where we gossip a lot. Um, yes. And so it's just really important, like, if someone does come to you not to, like, share that. And I know it's sometimes it's really hard for people because it's right. like, oh, so-and-so, like, because it sometimes for people, it's like, this makes sense. Like, someone's right. going through this and this makes sense and I want to tell other people. But, like, you don't want to break that trust. As right. long as it's not something harmful. But, you know, you right. don't want to break that trust with that person. So definitely right. keep it between the two of you. Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, and, and then something else I wanted to touch upon, too, just in terms of when we're talking about sort of stigmas and shame and all that. I think one of the other, at least from what I found, and this was just from, you know, my own experiences, I think one of the other, you know, sometimes kind of um, barriers in, in seeking help, especially if you, you know, have something where you're diagnosed with, you know, a specific mm-hmm. mental condition is thinking about using medication to help treat that. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, in our community, um, I think, you know, people have a really, really, really huge time with a huge issue with that, you know, taking antidepressants or taking, you know, antipsychotic medication, whatever the case may be. And it's like, again, you know, what are some things or what are some ways that people can think about it that will sort of allow them to do whatever it is they need to do to get that help, whether it be medication, talk therapy, you know, a combination thereof, etc. I think I didn't understand your question. Oh, um, so, okay. Prime prime example, prime example. I'm sorry. So, prime example, you know, it's going through the stuff after my son was born, you know, went to the doctor, you know, depression, whatever. Let's talk about some antidepressants. And I was like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I will not do that. You know, A, I saw it as a sign of weakness. B, I was just like, I don't want to, you know, be, you know, strung out for the rest of my life on some drugs, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, you know, having that conversation with my doctor and she was kind of like, okay, so if you go to the doctor and you're diagnosed with high blood pressure and they diagnose medication to help you lower your blood pressure, are you going to take the medication? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How is this any different? Right. You know what I'm saying? So I guess, you know, how how can people sort of get to that space or how can they think about things so that they don't feel hesitant to take that step if need be? Because well, I think there's a lot a of analogy though that your that your doctor. Oh, did I answer? Yeah, did no, I answer my own I question? Think <laughs> I, really, I really do think. I mean, I think that's oh, a great way to say it. I mean, it oh, okay. is. And I mean, even like for the listeners who are into lifting, like think about where you started and how you had to do the steps necessary to get to where you are now. And so mm-hmm. like sometimes that's taking a leap of faith. And so when you are taking that medication, I always tell people like, give it a try. I mean, the right. worst thing that happens is that you don't like the way it makes you feel. And then either mm-hmm. you can try a different medication or you cannot. But I always say give it a try. And also when you do start medications, I know our psychiatrist always talks about how it takes 30 to 45 days for those mm-hmm. effects to really mm-hmm. kick in. Um, and so it's very easy to start taking meds and say, mm, I don't feel anything. So like, I'm not going to take it anymore. But right. you haven't let enough time lapse. Um, so I just really encourage people to like, reach out and like try it because a lot of times what ends up happening is that you end up self-medicating in a negative way and so you Mm -hmm. start drinking or doing drugs and not even realizing that's becoming an issue and so now on top of having a mental health issue you now have like a substance abuse issue right um and so you just have to be really careful with that but that makes a lot of sense. Your analogy was on point, though. Write that down. <laughs> Disclaimer: I have no experience in mental health <laughs> at all. I'm just saying. Um, so, I guess one of the things too that I think about a lot is the connection, and this is, you know, again, one of the other reasons why I think it's really awesome and really important to sort of expose folks to strength sports right mm-hmm. um not only just for you know their physical health and and you know just sort of helping with their you know maybe their self-esteem or self-image but also i really do think that there's benefits with respect to your mental health mm-hmm. um can you talk a little bit about sort of you know it, what experiences you've had or sort of sort of how lifting strongman has kind of helped you in that respect mm-hmm. yeah um so i 
it's so funny. I just gave a talk on Friday to um, my high school. And so it's hmm. interesting because the kids, you know, they were like completely intrigued by the lifting stuff and like hearing right. the background. And I specifically remember um, one of the teachers had asked how mental is this? Like, and I was like, honestly, it's probably like 80 to 85% mental because I don't think people realize like how much what you do in the gym can translate to your like day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of us do it um because it makes us that much mentally tougher because we have i guess this rolodex of memories that we can kind of like pull out from and say you know remember when i was in the gym and i overcame you know thinking that i would never be able to bitch past 100 and then i was but i kept you know i kept persevering and so when it comes to like the mental health and the strength sports um you know, uh, it obviously pushes pushes your mental capacity, but also like I know in my experience is giving me a sense of community, um, and I've met so many people who struggle in their day to day with different things, and so it makes me like like we're a family, and so it mm-hmm. makes me feel like I'm not alone. You know, like I'm I I am very happy go lucky majority of the time, but I still have days bad mm-hmm. days just like everybody mm-hmm. else. Right, and so it's nice to be able to walk into the gym, and I might have my my bitch face on is like what I like to call it mm-hmm. and I'm angry about something and I just know I need to work through it and my community will give me space to do that right um and I can't tell you like how many people I've met that just have gone through a lot of things but um yeah I mean and also like I already said like you it gives you it gives you a a I guess sometimes for people it's hard for them to like look back on their lives um through like really tough situations where like it was breakups or like going through a mental health issue but sometimes it feels really good to reminisce on like what you did in the gym and how Mm -hmm. that is applicable to life and so Mm -hmm. i think that like you know lifting is so i'm on a tangent but like lifting is just so therapeutic because like it just opens your mind you know Mm -hmm. to so much to be able to handle so much more so I would agree with that. I, I like know. it. I'm like a little tangent. <laughs> Thanks. I, I'm like a little tangential. I was like, Monica, you we welcome tangents Listen, on this part. Have you ever actually listened to how many tangents I know, girl, we I go like, on? We- That's half the reason that this podcast ends up being an hour and a half sometimes. I know. We are all we are all about the tangents here. Because the good stuff comes um, from the tangent sometimes. Absolutely. True, absolutely. I mean, we always kind of have like sort of a general outline, but then shit just goes left 99% of the time. And we're like, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I like, and then I'm thinking about too, like also think about it when you were doing a strength sport, you literally get to focus on one thing. Like, and that's what I love about it. I go in the gym and I'm just focusing on whatever the task is at hand. Exactly. And so it helps you to be able to concentrate so much more and be like, all right, I went in, I did it. I finished my workout. And then also like, it makes me, I sleep better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to, like, I'm hungry afterwards and I'm able to eat what I need to eat uh, because I have to eat a lot of calories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes that's really hard for me. Um, and so being able to go work out and then be able to have like the physical capacity as well as the mental capacity to eat that much food is great. Right. Um, right. Oh my gosh, just so many little areas that I feel like it helps in. That's why I always encourage people if they want to get into it to do it yeah. because it has so many positive um, effects. Yeah. And like even like I recently had to overcome getting an injury um, and that was that was really hard for me. Even though my injury was very minor compared to other people, it was hard for me because I remember being in physical therapy, crying on the first day, thinking I was like, my strong woman career is over. And like, <laughs> I'm just boohooing. And she is like Monica. Like, it is not that serious. 
you are going to live and you're going to be lifting weights in a couple of months. Right. And so I had to be able to trust that process. And so being able to go through that and come out on the other end, um, mm -hmm. really, I can use that. Not only like do I use it at work, because I have days where I'm just like, I don't know how we're going to survive today. And right. like, I think about, well, Monica, you overcame this, but also like even in regards to competing, because like when I compete, I get anxiety. <laughs> like mm. I get anxiety of like, oh my God, like these other girls, like they're stronger than me. They're like better than me. And then I have to sit back and say, no, ma'am, like it's positive mm -hmm. affirmation, speak life mm -hmm, into what you mm -hmm, want. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that, you know, that's how like that really has helped my mental health because then like, like I said, I speak positive affirmations throughout the day to myself just mm -hmm. when I'm feeling overwhelmed. So, yeah. And, and, and actually you bring up a really good point because I think, you know, when we think of in terms of, of mental health or mental health issues, like I said before, sort of that mm -hmm. fail safe, you know, kind of broad sort of go to is depression. But, I you know, I think that there are a lot of folks out there, a lot of black women who also deal with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes I think there's you know, even if there is a hierarchy of shame, you know, that's, that's, that's even high on the scale because it's kind of like anxiety, what you think, what you anxious for your life is great. You know what I mean? And so what are, you know, to talk about that a little bit, if you can kind of shed a little bit of light on this, you know, what are some things again, that can kind of let someone know the difference between, okay, I'm a little nervous because I have this upcoming huge thing, promotion, test, competition, and this is something that's starting to control my life. And I, you know, I, I need to f get some help with this. Yeah. So, I mean, with anxiety, um, it's true. Some of the things are similar, but I think it's that uneasy feeling of like that fear, or that panic that like really takes you over. And so like, it's taking over to a point where it can be debilitating. Mm -hmm. um, so like you're not able to just move on from it because I think that people feel that, that, uh, that panic from time to time, like, Oh, something's due. Oh, I'm like freaking out. But like, this is like a prolonged feeling. Mm. Um, it obviously you're going to have some sleeping issues. Um, and you're not able just to stay calm and chill. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also people will talk about like what it feels like in their body. Like they have shortness of breath. They can have heart palpitations, uh, dry mouth. Um, you could even have nausea from it. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and so I would say like, I think that this is definitely like top four, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. for our community. Um, now, did you ask for me to speak on like coping strategy? <laughs> well, yeah, let's, I mean, let's, let's, let's get there. into that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <It's important. laughs> Yes, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, like, what triggers your anxiety attacks. Um, and sometimes that just takes you, like, monitoring throughout the day. And, like, it's so tedious, but, like, monitoring throughout the day. Uh, I felt an anxiety attack when I was talking to a particular person mm -hmm. or I was, like, focusing on a particular task. Um, one thing that we do talk a lot about with anxiety is, like, taking deep breaths and the reason why that's like a focal point is because it's so easy to focus on breathing because we do it naturally. Mm -hmm. And so like, even if you wanted to hold your breath, your body is going to be like, no, we're breathing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, um, and then you can focus by counting to 10. Um, I know one thing that I specifically do, because obviously I'm not diagnosed with anxiety, but one thing I do when I feel that overwhelmed feeling is I remind myself to we're taking it one day at a time. Like mm -hmm. I'm not looking like, especially with people who compete, 
and you feel anxiety about like upcoming competitions right. um i say you know what that's like three months away that's two weeks away or whatever we're just focused in the here and the now mm-hmm. and by refocusing from that big picture will help you to like calm your nerves as i call it um mm. and then also like you know the cliche like you know talk to people i don't want to say it's cliche but that's like our go-to you know right. every time you know talking to someone about it because they're going to be able to help you figure out like what those triggers are because sometimes people at their baseline just don't know like right. they just have no right. awareness of it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but yeah and i mean i think that's one of you know we're talking about mental health but that's definitely one of those ones where people will just say oh i just gotta push through i just gotta push through it but right. it's like no and sometimes like you need medication for it right um just right. to be able to calm you down mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you mentioned you said that was uh also one of the top four mm-hmm. what are what are the other two i know we talked about depression and anxiety but you mentioned there might be f- kind of four biggies i guess well, for our community yeah so adhd is obviously is another one um attention de- oh. attention deficit hyperactivity disorder um and Interesting. then also post-traumatic stress disorder um yeah I didn't because think about of, that, but okay. yeah, I didn't think yeah, about PTSD that. PTSD is huge, um, girl. I think, so I'll, and you know, somebody said this to me once, and I, you know, damn it, if I don't think this shit is true, like I was talking to someone. We were just kind of talking about, you know race and racism and, and stuff and how mm-hmm. it affects us and somebody was saying that PTSD is literally is literally handed down through our bloodline mm-hmm. I mean if you think about it you know if you think sort of back to slavery and kind of where we are now what we deal with and I was like damn I never thought about it like that but yeah. I think that's kind of true yeah and I mean a lot of times when we, when we talk about the um, African American community um, and PTSD think about all the violence we're exposed to yes. whether it's like in our own community or just what's going on in the news constantly with like police brutality and di- mm-hmm. different things um, you know that is causing PTSD to happen I know that like when I see a cop car, I yes. freak out. I'm not even breaking yep. the law and I'm yep. freaking out. Yep. And so that's just that PTSD that's like, like you said, in a way it's generational. It's been handed down because think about the conversations that our parents have with us yes. about like, how do you interact with police officers? Like no, no person should have to have a conversation about that with their child. Right. But that's the world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is causing PTSD to be more rampant in our community than others. Hmm. And can you speak a little bit to the, um, you mentioned ADHD and one of the things I think, you know, for me that was really eye-opening for me was that I've no, I have a a 14 year old son and, you know, like I mentioned, he was like a super, super preemie and he had some health issues and some other developmental issues growing up. And I just, I remember how quickly you know the his schools were to put that label on him mm-hmm. you know whether now you know he he did get some medication he was and it's fine you know we've we've managed it but i just thought it was really interesting like before they even took the time to just be like well let's figure out you know right. if there's something going on with him it was like oh well he's bad he got adhd mm-hmm. and it's like well wait a minute and i just noticed that they are very quick to throw that label at our kids much mm-hmm. more so than I think, um, you know, kids of other races and I just, you know, I wonder and not saying that it's not it, it's not happening and that kids don't are, you know, our kids don't have it. But I'm just wondering, you know, is this sort of a an overdiagnosis sort of situation or is it, you know, is it really running rampant through our communities and, you know, are we getting the the help that we need to deal with whatever those particular issues are as opposed to here's some, you know, whatever kind of medication we're going to throw at this kid and put them in special ed classes. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, that is 
that has been the conversation going on is like is this actually happening or mm -hmm. are we just labeling these kids who are going through um things in their community or in their home life that mm -hmm. are causing them to act out and so i think in my at least in my experience um in the school system it seemed like the the black and also i will have to admit these school systems that i'm in are predominantly white mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but you know looking at those students it was like there are things going on in their home that is causing them to act this way right. and so it's very easy to put that adhd and and this even ties into like with uh a lot of like clients who have schizophrenia mm -hmm. like they get labeled as having adhd when they're younger mm -hmm. but really they're having symptoms and nobody's aware of it because you don't diagnose someone with uh, schizophrenia until they're adult interesting right interesting. and so i just know in my experience like a lot of times it's like you need to do more digging to see mm -hmm. what's going on in the home before you just label it ADHD. Right. But I think that we live in a society where it's just easy to put that on there and say, right. oh, well, they have ADHD. And so like now we know and now like that's what we can always just have as the go to answer. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny. I've, I've actually had this conversation with a couple of other friends who, um, you know, have kids. And again, that whole situation going through it you know, with their kid and, oh, you know, he's acting out in class or he's doing this or he's that and he's got ADHD, he's got that. Well, come to find out the kid was bored as shit because they were brilliant right. and they needed to be in honors class. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? And it's like, well, how, why isn't that the go-to first? Right. Instead of assuming, you know, that something else, you know, is going on and it's not just that this kid isn't being challenged enough because right. he's really, really intelligent. Right. So it's just, you know, I, I've... It's been a real eye-opening experience for me, you know, having a, a kid in um, public school. I went to private school my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, my experience was a little bit different with respect to, you know, I guess just expectations in general. But, um, you know, this, it, like, I have had to be an advocate and vigilant 24-7 with this kid mm -hmm. and making sure that, you know, he gets what he needs and making sure that, you know, he's being properly challenged and, you know, getting all the resources. And it's just crazy to me. And, you know, and I don't know that other parents have this same experience. I know all my friends that are black <laughs> have this experience with their kids yeah. and trying to get their kids through the public school system. But it just, it was really eye-opening for me. I had no idea, you know, sort of all. And I know that, you know, you know, thankfully, my, you know, my mother-in-law is an educator. She was an educator for many, many years. And, you know, so not and my best friend is a teacher. So if I didn't have those people to kind of give me the opportunity to sort of look into all of this, I don't know that, you know, I would have had the same ability to, to discern or look out for certain things. So, you know, and, and shit, <laughs> that shit wears on you mentally, too. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time sort of fretting and stressing and, you know, just making sure that he kind of gets what he needs to get to where he needs to be to be successful. So it's like, oh, Lord, it's a wonder I got some mental health issues, man. <laughs> just, just living life every day, my God. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember my mom, like, going through it with my brother. Um, yeah. And, you know, they put him on Ritalin and different things, and it wasn't mm -hmm. working. They were like, why is it not working? And it's like, because it wasn't, it wasn't, now don't get me wrong, I think he did have some, to have it some, but there was right. a lot going on in the home, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, And so my brother, the way he dealt with it was he was a class clown, mm -hmm. and so he was constantly getting in trouble, mm -hmm. but nobody really took the time to really investigate what was going on. And I think it also ties back into the fact that, like, 
in the black community when things are going on we hide it easily too yeah yeah that's so very true so what are some things um and you know this is again i think one of those buzzwords nowadays that get thrown around um in terms of when you're thinking about your mental health and self-care so let's say you're not in a space where you can you know maybe afford to see a mental health professional or maybe you're not feeling comfortable you know reaching out to someone what are some quote-unquote self-care things that you can implement you know routines or regimens that you can implement to kind of start to just be more mindful and be more aware of your mental health that's a great question uh what are some things you can do um i mean i think okay one sometimes and i think it just depends on the person right some people love journaling Mm -hmm. um I am not a big journaler. I've tried. I can't do it. Um, but also, like, we have access to technology. So if you, like, if video, like, video blogging is better. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, like, okay. using your computer or using your phone to make video journals, I think, is very therapeutic because you can look back and kind of, you know, be able to see, like, what you're saying um, and where your thought process is. Um, what else? I talked about positive affirmations Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason why I'm really big on that is just because of the fact that when you're trying to break that negative thought cycle, that is a, uh, a easy way. So some, and I have lots of friends who do this, like they write um, sticky notes and put them in their bathroom. It sounds so cliche, but mm-hmm. for some people it really does work. Like you write on sticky notes, you put it in your bathroom. I have a whiteboard in my room that I write on. Mm-hmm. Um, what other things can you do? I also find like deep breathing helps um, Mm -hmm. just to kind of reset yourself. Uh, I'm trying to think. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Do you guys have any? Um, (laughs) I I know both of us are journal people. (laughs) So there's that. Um, Oh, also like walking. Like I always tell people like walking is the easiest thing you can do. Your body naturally does it. And you'll get those endorphins that you're looking for to kind of increase your mood to be more positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I found um, I, I started taking a lot more uh, like warm baths. Ooh. I don't know why that's so soothing mm-hmm. for me. Um, but I, I find that it's really helpful when I'm just kind of scattered or you know just feeling all out of sorts like like taking a, a nice warm bath before bed just really just kind of puts me in a really good space mm-hmm. um same with drinking tea i do that that was the too. one i was about to say too is yeah especially yeah. those that are formulated blending toward calming relaxing mm-hmm. sleeping chamomile yeah yeah those absolutely. kinds of things definitely when, when when you're feeling anxiety don't drink green tea that doesn't yeah. help <laughs> <laughs> don't drink caffeine it doesn't help yeah that. and i will say this i don't know this might be kind of irresponsible to say but i like just kind of looking back sort of over you know my lifespan i've always found that the times that i've been most like stressed or you know kind of been most out of sorts mentally i've been those times in my life when i did not own a pet yes that is um, I'm truth a, for i'm me. a big pet person and like law school was horrible for me because I didn't have a pet (laughs) I realize now um you know uh part of college I mean college is fun but you know I definitely can remember those days or those times I was just like "Ah." but I mean you know since I've been even when I was a kid the times that I remember most fondly even when there was a lot of chaos in my life was when I had a dog um you know I had a rabbit I had a couple of rabbits that kind of thing and even now like I've just find as an adult 
like having a pet is just re become really not and again I love dogs but I think it's also because of just there's that something about that sort of unconditional love and just that you know warm body that is just in, you know you don't have to hear their shit um they don't want anything from you other than snacks <laughs> but and also belly scratches but and on the other side and this is something for people who like me are single like you don't have a spouse mm -hmm. you don't have kids having when especially dealing being someone who deals with depression when as you were saying you can become depending on how your depression manifests you can be a person who sleeps all the time and all that right I tell people I tell people all the time if I didn't have at least one dog in the house my depression would have overtaken me a long time ago because I don't know that I'm there until it's until it's like I'm falling apart and if nothing else, the dogs keep me very in tune and will keep me as I'm coming out of those things. They keep me in tune to, okay, I have to get out of bed because clearly they have to pee. <laughs> I don't want you peeing in my house. Right, exactly. So if nothing else, I'm going to get out of bed because the two of you, even if I don't care to get out of bed to take care of me, I do care enough about them. Right. to make sure that they get their needs met now that is not a substitute for medication or therapy right, right. <laughs> but <laughs> it's if you are a person who needs something that will force you into routine or that relaxes you i know i come home and on my worst days the first thing i do is climb into a blanket with the dogs mm -hmm. and just sit there and i'm like oh, life is so much better like right. now of course not everybody can get a pet that's a dog or a cat right. but i've at different points when i didn't have furry animals i've had fish or a fish that i can just watch swim in a bowl for whatever reason that is so therapeutic to me to just watch this the fish swim back and forth and back and forth yeah so it's i i you know it's not probably that's probably not our most responsible podcast <laughs> go get a dog get a dog <laughs> <laughs> do not run out and buy a dog because you're depressed or because right. you're anxious right um, but they can help <laughs> if you can responsibly care for a pet <laughs> right because don't call don't call us if you can't right. afford your animal right now, granted right, right. i probably would still take it from you because right. <laughs> i love animals but please do not go buy something furry with four legs that you right. can't afford because we said to okay um, oh you know what i will say this too and i didn't think about it um I mean, this wasn't the reason that I started sort of doing it, but I do realize now that it is very helpful for me when I'm kind of in a down space and that's um, volunteering. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I find that, you know, and, and again, I kind of read this somewhere and I was like, whatever, but I really feel like when you are, you know, kind of in that space, it is really, it's really helpful for you to give of yourself to someone else. Right. And that could be in any capacity. And the reason that that kind of jarred my uh, in my brain, D was what you were saying about, you know, not getting a pet, maybe not, but you can always go and volunteer at a shelter, exactly. right? To hold the puppies or, you know, feed them or take them for walks, things like that. You know, you can go to the NICU and, you know, volunteer to hold babies, or I don't know if they'll let you do it anywhere because you might be kind of weird. I don't know. But, um, yeah, you know, but just volunteering in some sort of capacity to help something or someone else can really, I think, take you outside of yourself sometimes mm -hmm. and kind of give you that you know, it's almost like that dose of, um, what's that feel good hormone? Um, it's not Oxycontin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, <laughs> not that one. Yeah, girl, you want to feel some Oxycontin. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're in here, you talk like... Oh my god, your endorphins? No, it's somewhat of, oh, isn't it like o o 
do you mean dopamine? Yes, dopamine. Yeah, yeah. 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 I thought it was oxytocin or something. Okay, yeah, dopamine. Yes, please, no, no oxycontin, please. <laughs> I'm, so sorry. I'm not even drinking anything, Lord Jesus. Oh my God. But yeah. Please do not start a drug <laughs> thing. That because kind of goes against everything we're talking about. Don't do tonight. that. I'm so sorry, y'all. Prescription drugs are not the jam for the, at right. least not those kind, okay? No, I am catching a cold. I apologize. And I haven't even taken any cold medication. But yes, something that will get those feel good <laughs> endorphins. In your body. <laughs> I told you. I told you. Okay. I, I, told, okay. <laughs> I need to edit that out. Anyway, but yeah. So no, yeah, we're leaving volunteer. it because it's, 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 it's exactly this podcast. That it, we, we have been so good and so sane for this entire episode. Oh, we God. had to do something ridiculous. I there know. it is. Volunteer help somebody else. That was the more to the story. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's okay. But it was, yeah, I think it's ser- serotonin and dopamine. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I, Ooh, Lord, I may need to see my therapist about that. That might be a 40 to slip. Anyway. Um. I, I mean, I think I also would suggest, like, people taking time out for themselves, like, every day, whether it's, like, 10 minutes or 20 or 30 minutes and just doing something you enjoy, yeah. whether it's, like, sitting in bed and watching Netflix or, like, going for a walk, but doing something that, like, you find enjoyment in, um obviously physical activity is great but also what comes with that too is like your nutrition like you need to know your body and know what to what makes it feel good Mm -hmm. like i know that if i eat a ton of sugar i don't like my body has like it doesn't like sugar but if Mm -hmm. i eat a ton of sugar i'm gonna feel really bad afterwards Mm -hmm. and so you Mm -hmm. just have to know like what works when it comes to your nutrition um because keeping that on point i can't tell you like the days i feel great are the days that like I'm eating right and I'm like getting all my water intake in and I'm sleeping good. Like I Mm -hmm. feel great, like mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, like we call this like the toolbox method where like Mm -hmm. you get all these little skills and you put them in your toolbox and then you go in your toolbox and take out what you need um, Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage everybody to figure out what you want to put in your toolbox. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah, speaking of of toolbox, and, and I guess this kind of goes along too with with um, self care. And again, if you're not really ready to take that step to you know sort of reach out or, or or get the help of a professional, are there any? And again, if you don't know right off the bat, okay. we can mention them later. But are there any like books you recommend, online resources, okay. things like that that could be helpful for someone trying to just you know start to work through their things? Oh, that's a really good question, and I don't have an answer. I'm sitting in front of my, I should look at my bookshelf. Um, I'm okay. Like, what are some good books? Because I know, like, one thing that, like, I really enjoy are, like, other people's stories. Mm-hmm. I have found to be, like, a really good starting point um, for some people that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to, like, relate to what they're going through and, right. and helping you not to feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, in that vein, um, one website that has been quite frankly for me like a miracle worker is the mighty um Mm. it is essentially and the only thing and i will say this small disclaimer i don't know how their editing system works or like what their editorial staff looks like so a lot of this stuff is first person stories so you're this is not always going to be something written by a mental health professional but if you're looking for people who are i know for me going through some of the things I've been through in the last year, year and a half or so, 
both with physical health and mental health, they have people who write about their experiences having chronic disease and Mm, what their day to day feels like and how, you know, someone might say, oh, well, why don't you just get up out of bed? And they kind of talk about what it takes, the steps it takes them to just even feel good enough to get out of bed or what depression feels like to them. There are a lot of very personal stories. I think you can submit and there is definitely some sort of editorial process. I just don't know what it mm-hmm. is. Um, but it is, their focus is kind of talking about people who have these mental health issues and chronic diseases and their experiences. And sometimes they also do talk about things that you can do to help yourself. And, and um, they usually list some level of base level resources so i know for me i've done a lot of reading of that just to kind of say okay am i the only person who feels this way when the people around me may or may not have the same experience so that's one resource that i found over the last year or so what's um can you repeat the name of the website and spell it the mighty like m-i-g-m-i-g-h-t-y Oh, okay. The mighty. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, and of course I mention this all the time and, you know, I think it's just a phenomenal resource. So, um, there is a website, there's a podcast and I'm not sure she has any published materials, but there's a, um, African-American therapist out of Atlanta and her website is called therapy for black girls. And mm-hmm. it has literally been life changing. Um, so the website, if you go to it and it's just therapy I believe, um, it actually has a directory of African-American healthcare providers on there and it's divided up by region. So you could look it up by state or, um, you know, I guess, uh, uh, city or what have you so that's amazing and she actually also has a podcast on um, iTunes and maybe on SoundCloud as well and I mean each episode is tackling sort of a different specific issue dealing with um, black women and specifically in mental health whether it be relationships or sexual trauma or self-esteem or you know all these different things and it's a really great listen um, and you know she has some very engaging um, and informative guests on there at times so definitely check that out if you're looking kind of for a place to get started um, I would highly recommend therapy for black girls um, and then oh something else that um, it's not a, a book, but another resource for potentially sort of lower cost mental health care is um, the uh, app Talkspace. Yes, um, yes. That is mm-hmm. like I've had a couple of people mention that they've used it before and it's the bomb and you can, you know, you can just upload it, I think, on uh, definitely on um on i i your iphone i'm not yep. sure if it, it's um, android on too pla- it is on oh, okay. android too. other platforms mm-hmm. and it's called talkspace and you pay you know i don't know 30 40 bucks or what have you and i think you can pay per visit and just have someone to talk to whether you have i think like one sort of isolated kind of moment or you need a longer term thing and you can't you know either get the time off of work to go visit someone or whatever so i've heard really really good reviews about yeah. that as well so we will definitely put those links amongst any others that we think of between now and the episode dropping on the podcast. Um, I got, I, it's like, there's so much more <laughs> to talk about, but I feel like if we don't cut it off, we're going to be on the phone for the, I mean, I know, Monica for the next needs three to or eat. four hours. Exactly. <laughs> so I do just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any sort of parting words for the people's? Um, I mean, if you are someone who's going through what you think might be a mental health issue, you're unsure, I always just say reach out. I mean, the worst case scenario is that you get confirmed that it's, you know, it's not um, anything that's diagnosable, um, but at least you can have that that comfort. Um, And also, I would encourage people, if you get a provider and you're unsure, ask them questions. I think people have Mm -hmm. a hard time feeling like, 
that they can like go there that they can ask like you know have you ever worked with an african-american mm. what are like have you had cultural competency guess what like we are open and we will answer those questions and then that way that can better inform you if that's somebody that you want to you know go along your recovery with or not um so yeah i just want people to know that they can do that wow that's really that's good. really important about that, that yeah mm-hmm. and it's funny because that. we talk about that when we talked about you know the episode with about hiring coaches and things like yeah, that. yeah same thing mm-hmm. and it's a very similar thing you are entrusting your mental health with these people <laughs> right. and mm-hmm. you're and investing from a practical standpoint your time and your money because you're going to pay something at some point yeah and you would never you wouldn't hire a babysitter for your child and not ask them questions you wouldn't right you, hell most of us won't even you know buy food at the grocery store without asking questions about it right, right. so right. Oh, of course you would it, it sounds like common sense but i think often we get caught up in the idea that this person is you know they have whatever degree that it is that they have or they right. have this title so they know more than i ever possibly could so i can't ask them any questions but it of course you can ask questions and it's important to know that you can so i'm glad you said that absolutely well thank you so much monica i know there's definitely gonna have to be a part two so i hope you'll join us again yes at some point um and thank you all again for listening we are on itunes we're on soundcloud we're on the twitters we have a facebook page we have an instagram page and a blog that we have not updated in a while that we'll need to do that but anyway Thanks again for tuning in tonight. I hope, you know, somebody out there got something um, from this. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on our email, chocolatebarlife at gmail.com. Um, thanks again. I'm Bree. I'm Dee. See you at the bar. Bye.